The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 183 on the OneOuter.com podcast sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send a question in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, uh, this is us back. We're on a Friday. You had stuff on yesterday and a few people emailed me already saying, where's the show? And uh, so I put on Twitter that we will be doing it today. So this is the last one before you go out to Vegas. You're going out next week. So it would be silly not to talk about that. Um, it seems to be an annual tradition of you going to play the main event. And especially since I bought a PC, you know, I want to know. You're getting these kale salads and lots of water in. <laughs> well, uh, uh, thank you guys for having me. What... Well, Vegas is going to be a good time. I got my standard Airbnb in Chinatown because taxation is theft, and I'm not going to be paying these resort fees, which I think are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Like the resort fee, when you were out there, Barry, how much was it? Because you still have to pay that, right? Even if you don't have the room out for the day. um, It's per night. Um, Even though the rooms were comp, that was the deal. I had to still pay the resort fee. So to give you an idea, in Bellagio, it was $40 a night, $39.99 or something. (laughs) And I think Mirage was the same. Uh, Golden Nugget was a little bit less. I think it was like $30, $29 $30, $29 a night or something. Yeah. And they never used to charge a resort fee. Um, so, yeah, uh, but I do have a few stories about that, but I really can't tell them on the air. I'll need to just uh, save them <laughs> for Alex, or if any of you guys know me in person or we bump into each other next time in Vegas, then I can tell you the stories. But, yeah, I really can't tell you on air about these. I, and you know that must be something because I... Uh, I share pretty much everything on the air, apart. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, well, I just don't want to screw You know what they say up, about podcasting? Yeah. The, best, the best way to do a podcast, Barry, is to ask a question that there's no answer for. Yeah. That's, <laughs> people love that when you do that, so good job. <laughs> but no, it, yeah, now I'm so tantalized. I want to know what the hell you're talking about. It's, it's nothing, it's, you know what? To be fair, it's nothing really dramatic or anything. It's just something I don't want to say on the air in case it okay. uh, came back to bite me or ruined it for me in the future or something. So. Okay, you had a little try. Okay, that's cool. So, yeah. Anyway, well, I'm, uh, uh, I think these resort fees are ridiculous, and this stuff eats into my bottom line. So what I've been doing the last couple of years is I looked up on Airbnb one time, and there was all these nice old – Asian couples in Chinatown that just go, yeah, you want to rent our spare bedroom, it's 30 bucks a night, and I go, that's cheaper than the resort fee, right? Mm -hmm. And before I used to go to the Gold Coast, before there were resort fees, and it would be $28 a night, and now I can get that in Chinatown, and I'll have a kitchen, and I'll have a washer and dryer, and I'll have a desk, and all these other things, so... I just went and got something like that because I'm the cheapest human ever when it comes to stuff like that. You just get really cheap on the tour because you do your taxes at the end of the year and you go, I spent $20,000 on hotels and travel this, this year. This is ridiculous. And anywho, I, I got a place I like. Uh, not, I didn't get the place I got last year, which was just perfect. It was in the... Uh, 
part of Vegas I really like with all the old record shops and the, uh, the part of Chinatown that has uh, Carlos and I go to this vegan uh, Chinese restaurant, which is interestingly really good. And that tends to be the area I'm in. But with, uh, with the main event, what I'm really trying to do is eat healthy, show up every day. I have a game plan. My game plan is a lot more simplified than it would be if I were playing like a WPT I can't really get away with a very high salute bluff because if the other guy's not going to fold a pair, the guy's not going to fold a pair. And I, I can sit there and complain about that or I can do something about that. And my strategy, I feel, is very tailored toward the WSP main event crowd. I've been going over with, I've been going over it with all of my students, I'm outfitting them with more or less the same strategy. I feel very confident in it. It's been working really well for my students. It's worked really well for me in the past. I'm very excited. I, I don't think I'll get to have as much fun in Vegas as I'd like. I'll probably try to go to uh, NBA Summer League one day. You know, in the very rare event I'm not playing poker for eight days straight and winning $8 million, I'll probably try to go catch NBA Summer League or catch a USL game, which is Las Vegas has a USL team. That's like Division Two soccer in the States, which I guess in uh, U the United Kingdom would be like Division 46 or something. But it's, I, <laughs> I like seeing sports live. I... I that really gets me fired up. That's it. That's something I've been doing differently with my tour stops lately is that I read this thing in Persuasion about how the best test takers in the world, uh, the best people that, the people that perform very well in any kind of uh, performance-driven industry, what they really do is psych themselves up before they go out there. They don't, they don't review the material because that's going to be reinforcing everything you don't know, which is really likely to shoot your confidence through. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it, there was uh, the greatest hitter uh, of the greatest hitter of American MLB history. He used to scream in batting practice, like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And he'd get himself hyped up. And I'm not really into that because that's not really my character. But what I've been doing is on the way there, I'm listening to my audiobooks on Audible. And I listen to stories like, like that, uh, what you retweeted the other day, the Iranian guy who was uh, homeless, who eventually... Oh, yeah, the goalkeeper. The goal who became the goalkeeper in the World Cup, like doesn't that get you fired up? Yeah. When you when you read that stuff. Yeah, it's real. I, everybody loves stories like that. I think if you yeah, don't, I think there's something wrong with you. You know. Right. Exactly. Oh, and the picture was amazing. Him holding the ball like that, it, almost like it was a trophy. Right. Yeah. Like I ju I just did that. Yeah. For those of you who didn't see. Barry's tweet, it was, uh, he retweeted a story of an Iranian goalkeeper who blocked uh, a penalty kick from Ronaldo, right? Yeah. In uh, the World Cup, which is no easy feat. And the guy was working at a car wash. He was homeless uh, on the streets of Tehran in order to chase his dream. Anyway, I've been exposing myself to more of those stories. And what ends up happening is I become extremely grateful to play when I get like that because you listen to stories of athletes and when they're by my age, our age, Barry, like they're done. That's it. They go, oh, he's 32. Uh, he's 30. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I, I went and saw a Staten Island Yankees game over the weekend, which is the minor league affiliate for the Yankees here. And it's Class A ball, which uh, it's 
they they have single A ball, double A ball, triple A ball, and then the major leagues. And you have to kind of come up in this system before they're going to let you near an MLB team. And there's actually leagues in between triple A South or Japan. It's between those two. But this was like single A ball. And you're watching these pitchers from Venezuela who, if their baseball dream blows out, they have to go back to Venezuela. And Venezuela is Venezuela right now. It's, I think, 500,000% inflation. Uh, a cup of coffee costs one million bolivars. People are starving in the streets. And the only thing they got going is baseball and you see these guys just begging their arms to work again uh, on the mound pitching and when I see that stuff I get like for one you realize how lucky you are to compete because a lot of these guys probably could have done something else gone somewhere else especially when you see the American guys who are in their 30s and they're still in the minor league system when for the in all likelihood, they're not going to make the majors. That's it. And you just realize how lucky you are to compete. And the main event is, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's, it, it's not only do you get to compete, like this is the biggest stage. This is it. And you don't have to be the best on earth. Like if you go play the U.S. Open, you have to be the best on earth but solid play will get you into the rankings of the WSOP main event, and then God knows what could happen, right? And so most of what I've been doing is managing my what is my style of play going to be on each day, and not changing it for each day, but what, what are the sucker bets, as uh, Taleb would call them, what, what are the biggest sucker bets in poker, and how can I get everybody to accept them? And the biggest sucker bet to me right now is the three bet, because the, another person accepting a three bet from me is the biggest sucker bet on earth, because this is, this is what they do right now. When they open, they open anything they want, and then when somebody three bets them, they call it with everything. Did you see this in Vegas, Barry? Like, did anyone ever fold to a three bet from you? No. Not one. I, I asked the question to people day after day after day, and everybody goes, no, nobody folds, uh, right? No, sorry, three bet shoves, yeah, but not three bets. Like, three bet all in, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, three bet all in, three flop false, yeah. if we were just on hold a manager, right? Yeah. But uh, I've asked that to everybody, and everybody calls, and then. When they have one pair on the flop, do they raise you or do they call most of the time? Call. They call. So think of what a sucker bet this is, Barry. Okay, Barry, I got it. Okay, Barry, I want you to open anything 6-4 suited or higher. When I 3-bet you, you have to call with everything. Uh, if you miss the flop, I want you to fold. But if you hit the flop, I want you to give me two more free cards. Sound good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the biggest sucker bet on earth, right? <laughs> like, this is, this is a sucker bet. This is, you, if you take that other end of the bet, you are a sucker. I don't think you can play cards. If you do it once, I get it. Like, you don't want the guy three betting you all day. Let's try to make his life a living hell just once, right? Let's just check raise him and see what happens if you think his three bet's like 14% or something like that. But if you do that... Uh, if you do that day after day, hand after hand, hour after hour, I don't think you can play cards. I, I don't think you get sucker bets, right? Like, I, I don't think you understand what that is. Another sucker bet is, like, you, you flop, like, bottom pair. You have five, six of hearts. The board comes queen, nine, five. You're in the big blind. You check to me. I bet you call with five, six of hearts. That is a sucker bet, Right? Because if I sat there and I said, what are you doing to a turn bet? What are you doing to a river bet? Most people would say, well, I'm probably folding. Well, how often is the turn going to go check, check, then the river's going to go check, check? 
I don't know, like 10% of the time. So you just threw chips in that you admit is going to go to main 90% of the time. Like, does that seem like a smart idea? I know you got five hole outs on the turn, which you're going to hit 10% of the time. But that it, it's, it, the, the big thing is I've constructed this entire strategy. When I construct it for my students, it's let's pick the bet that, in the words of Warren Buffett, you want a business so wonderful any idiot could run it because at some point an idiot will run it. And I don't care who you are over seven days at the main event. There's going to be one day you get fatigued. There's going to be one day you sleep too long, sleep not enough. There's going to be a day you get into a little tiff with your wife, something, right? There's going to be a day you're just not into it. You want it. So when I construct strategies for my students, it's mostly those bets, right? It's mostly like what, what are bets that are just complete sucker bets for the other guy and anybody could figure them out. And my strategy, obviously, with my uh, 12 years of professional play are, you know, off and on playing major events, uh, a few years really seriously on the tour. I have a few more adjustments and a few other plays I put in there that I wouldn't necessarily teach because they're a little bit more convoluted. But most of this is going to be walking the dog with these guys. And I'm really confident in it. I really feel like this could be my year. And I, I, Barry, you've known me for like five, six years. Have I ever said that before a main event? No. No. And it's, but I'm just, a lot of the work, honestly, if you want to do well in the main event, all the work starts in January. Like, you've got to be in great shape for these events. Like, you can make it without being in great shape, but imagine, Barry, if I said, well, you guys don't really have standardized tests, but if I said, hey, uh, I want you to take a, an exam to get in law school for four days straight. It, 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 would, it would behoove you to not be, in t- you know, to not go drinking the night before any of those days or to not just be in bad health at that time. And a standardized test is easier to fathom than the main events, because in the main event, you're constructing your own questions. And if you construct the question poorly, you're not going to get the right answer. So I I believe it's harder than anything like that. And you're dealing with too much information. We all have our biases. If a guy just looks kind of, I have this problem. I have resting, uh, Forgive my language, everybody, but I have resting bitch face. I look like I think I'm better than everybody. Or I look like I just smelled a fart. I don't know. You can pick which either one you want. But people don't like folding to me sometimes because, you know what, I hate this guy, and I don't know why. And there's a lot of stuff like that that's going to throw you off if you're not constantly monitoring your thoughts and emotions and asking yourself better questions that are not based in emotion and I really feel like I've gotten ahead of it Barry I know every I have examined the game this last year has been really transformational as far as my business uh what really helped me a lot was trying to come up with systems that every man could exercise and just finding these horrible inefficiencies in the field and capitalizing on them to the point where it's just it's just amazing how much money there is in this game still. And I think you found this when you were at Vegas, right? Like, everybody talking about this game is dead, and you were just looking around like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, uh, the thing is, is the main event, because of the buying, people assume, but then the amount of satellites that run there, the amount mm. of people that have satellited in online through all the sites... And then the amount of people that just come out, they've sold pieces of themselves, etc. And then, yeah, when you narrow it down, it's like, I'm not surprised that, you know, the markup some of the people charge to play uh, the main event and when they're selling pieces off and stuff. So, basically, if you get down to, what, top 25, 30, I'll fly out and rail you. uh, (laughs) Because I got a piece of you, so that'll be worth it for another Vegas trip. (laughs) You're not going to like it when... Uh, when I'm deep in tournaments, I don't talk to people. It's just like being in the zone. You just don't. Like, I'm, I might give you a hug and be like, hey, I'm, 
nice to finally meet you, guy. I've done 180 podcasts with, but I got to go. Uh, but but no, I feel like this could be my year because, like you said, anybody comes out to that tournament, and all all I work on, Barry, is how to get the everyman an edge versus everybody. Mm-hmm. That's my job. That's what I do, and it's it's a really fun job, by the way, because I I love getting. I love getting the emails from just people that have played poker for fun for years but never really feel like they got a handle on it, going like, I just won my way into the main event, or, oh, I just won a couple grand, right? Or they had no idea what I was doing. I kept, I love it when the grannies are three-betting everybody. Those, that, that, those letters make my day, right? Just imagine, <laughs> just imagine granny icing that kid watching Talladega Nights on his uh, iPad. Yeah. Uh, you got it. I mean, I mean that's a great image, right, Barry? Can you imagine how fun that is? But well, it is because it's so stereotypical. <laughs> Anybody over sixty does three bet. People assume, you know, it's aces, exactly. aces, kings, queens, jacks, maybe ace, king. That's it, you know. Exactly, exactly. So I'm like, just do it. The, the funniest thing is the average person three bets aces, kings, queens, jacks, but they only assume you do that if you're sixty years old. But yeah. anyway. Um, no. Okay, let's. Uh, well, one thing I want to touch on there as well is your Airbnb thing, and I know just from my Vegas trip there, even though I got the the rooms comped and stuff, with all the Ubers and uh, some resort fees I had to pay, uh, some I didn't, and things. You know, it does add up, even on my trip, which was you know I was there for a couple of weeks, and yeah. it's it's fine when you're winning, you know, big. <laughs> you, you don't notice it. You go ah, whatever, you know. If you go and your hotel bill for a few weeks is, you know, five grand or whatever, and you score 60,000, 70,000, then it's like, oh, it is what it is. But if you go and brick everything or have a pretty break even, and then you've got to pay those bills, you know, off your card or whatever when you come home, then, yeah, it's that is bottom line. That's real money that you can save. And um, I, I noticed it with a few times, you know, I was playing and I was like, you know, I'm just like Ubering everywhere and like okay they're only $10, $15, $20 but over two weeks that mounts up you know when you're back and forward you know when you're back and forward all these places so uh, that's good you got an Airbnb so what is the trip then you go out the third you're playing the main event Um, are you playing anything else if things don't go well or are you just flying home or what's your plans I actually I have the Airbnb through the 12th my plan is this. I'm either going to win a ton of money from the main event, which is totally happening in my, you know, I checked with an economics major. That's happening like 80, 90% of the time. But in the rare event, I don't make millions of dollars from the biggest tournament of the year. I'm going to be, I, I'm going I'm to be making products the entire week, right. week and a half. Because I don't, I don't know, Barry, I got, I, I feel like I'm getting soft in this, uh, because this apartment, okay, this apartment I have now, like, uh, when I saw this apartment, I thought they should be charging way more for this apartment, then I applied for it, assuming everybody else is going to apply for it, but my credit score is pretty high, and they they got it for me, and I was like, sweet, but you know, when you're, when you're here with your, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you, you have your dream girl, your flat screen TV, your air conditioning, your full pantry. It's like you don't do as much work on the products as you like, right? Like yeah. that's just not – and the thing I'm telling myself is if you bust this main event, which let's be honest, it's going to happen a lot of the time, uh, I'm just – I'm going to be in a Starbucks in Las Vegas making new products. Just that's it. That's all I'm going to be doing. And I got a bunch of... I have one already written out. Like, I have all the screenshots, all the questions and answers. They're just scattered across literally hundreds of pages of my notes because I take notes during every one of my poker lessons, and that's really kind of like workshopping the ideas, like what sticks, what doesn't. And I have it all written out, but I, I just need to compile it. And then when you're in a Starbucks... And 
you just got nothing else to do, right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to walk into my living room and uh, watch baseball on my flat screen, right? When you can't do that, I'm just going to do that every day and work and hopefully have three or four new products when I come back home. I've got, I've got a bunch of ideas that I'm really looking at. So, yeah, it's a pretty good option. I either make a ton of money or I put together some products that will help me with some money. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I just love Vegas, dude. Now that – remember how curmudgeonly we were when we started this podcast and now you're in Vegas and you love it and I love Vegas? Like, yeah. Vegas is awesome, man. I just – the cool thing is you can set goals. You can wake up, like, really early if you're working in Vegas and say, I got to write – 250 slides or whatever it is, right? Okay, it's not going to be that many, but whatever it is. And then when you're done, you can go to the Pinball Hall of Fame or you can go to this soccer game or you can go to this NBA game or you can go to David Copperfield or whatever it is, right? You can go to this comedy show. You can go to this concert. That's I love that stuff. Like, I just love Vegas, you know? And then it'll be cool to see some of my students out there. I think at... In the rare event, I bust the main event, you know, like that 6% percentile of the time. I don't win this. I'll probably set up some, like, meet and greet. We'll do it at the Gold Coast. We'll all go bowling. How does that sound? I'm totally going to steal that from thinking poker. Okay, well, from a a selfish personal point of view, um, I really hope that you get no products made and you last last as long (laughs) as possible. (laughs) 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 okay let's get into the questions then and uh, it's quite funny this one again just uh, the way it's came out Um, this one is from Alex it's Bob again sorry this one is from Bob and (laughs) that's his first line is Alex comma that's why I've put it's from Alex Uh, this one is from Bob Alex it's Bob again I just wanted to drop you another note of thanks tonight I realised the dream and won a seat to the WSOP main event. I took your advice and didn't change much in my game. I was just ultra aware of my position and spots and opponents to 3-bet while keeping the betting lead. I was relentlessly value betting and my opponents handed this all in one of two ways. They folded to me more or they freaked out and went after me with a subpar hand. By the time we were 9-handed, I had 40% of the chips in play and when down to 3-handed, I had 60% of the chips. It's a dream come true to be able to play the main event and I am so pumped right now and I'm sure I'll sleep for days. If it's not too much to ask for advice for a first timer in the main, thanks again for everything you do. If you're out in Vegas during the main, I'd love to buy you a coffee or dinner or just be able to shake your hand in person. I truly hope all is well. I'm several episodes behind on the podcast. Hope to play catch up in the coming weeks. Bob. Hey, Bob, I'm really happy for you. Uh... I I never know the right words to let people know I authentically am happy for them because this is this is what we got into poker for, right, Barry? Just the yeah. the positively fifth street, like give me the ticket and the dream, man. I'm coming off the strip. See what I can do with these chips. And it it's fun, right? Like it's really cool to hear other people are doing that. It's it's a good time. It uh, Bob, some advice for your first main event. The first thing to realize is whatever you got into this tournament for, it's a steal. Uh, I really think if you could guarantee people play three days without a cash, I really think the $10,000 is worth it just to say you play the WSOP main event once. I really believe that. It is an experience. It's something you always get to say, just like if you're a golfer, you could say, I qualified for the U.S. Open, or I tried to enter for the U.S. Open, or wh- whatever it is. It, it is an experience. And the big thing to remember when you go there, if I... It, there's, uh, let, let's talk about two poker coaches who are way better than I am at poker. Well, Jonathan Little wrote an article about what he thought was the biggest mistake he saw players doing at the WSP main event, and he said they do not three-bet They When they do re-raise, everybody knows they have the hand, so they don't get paid off. 
So what ends up happening is whenever you do have a hand, people will try to bust you, and if they miss, they just fold and you get a few chips. And if they do get a big hand, uh, they get a lot of chips from you, which is not good. Remember what I said earlier in this episode about what a sucker bet it is for people to call a three bet out of position with you. Remember, if you were playing in the big blind, even if you had ace-10 offsuit, you would much rather have six three of diamonds on the button. You would much rather have six three high on the button than you would have ace-10 offsuit from the big blind just because position is such a huge edge. And it sounds like you're really on to that, and I'm glad about that because the biggest sucker bets you're going to be able to get this, these people to accept in the main event is all about position. Think about when you raise the button in the big blind calls. What are they going to do when they hit a pair? Well, they're going to call. What are they going to do when they miss a pair? As long as you're betting enough to fold out high cards, which might not necessarily be half pot, they're going to fold. But you bet enough to fold out high cards, and if they call, they have pairs. That's that, right? So think of what a sucker bet this is. It's like, I want you to call anything you feel like out of position, but if you hit on the flop, I get two more free cards, and if you miss, I want you to give me all the money. Sound good? And just keep exercising that again and again. And the biggest problem, you already have clear evidence that you won a WSOP main event seat because you kept to the basics. Now, everybody sees the main event. They walk into that tournament room. They see all the tables. They see all the personalities. They see the huge chip stack some of the pros have, and they think, I got to do something different. No, you don't. If they keep taking these sucker bets versus you, if they keep playing out of position, I'm not saying it's good, you're going to win, but I'm going to say you got a much better shot than most people in that room because most people in that room don't realize what they're consenting to when they when they flat a three bet out of position. They don't know what they're consenting to when they call a big blind raise. I mean, when they call a raise out of the big blind and they have no plan to check raise the flop ever uh, or donk lead ever. Uh, so if you can keep exercising that, it's just like the basics. It's just your meat and potatoes bets again and again. You think about a guy qualifying for the U.S. Open. He's just going to lay up the shot, get it in there. No trick shots, no cowboy stuff, none of that, Okay. Your game is fine. Remember, you're not playing the best players in the world. You're playing Joe the Plumber, right? You're, play, you're playing average guys. This is, a, this is the average guys tournament. Now, if there's a guy who's a little hot-headed who's going off for his chips, you can be a little bit more careful around him. And sometimes, if there's a pro to your left and you feel you have to fold everything, guess what? i got to do the same thing when there's a pro to my left. I had Fader Holes, too, to my left uh, at the main event two years ago. You know what I had to do for six hours? I had to fold. I finally got one hand versus him, and I flopped something, and I took three minutes on the hand trying to figure out how to get money. And so I coolered him a bit, but I ended up getting a bunch of his chips. And the only reason that happened is because I wasn't pissing away my money prior to that to him. I had some money to get in there, but it's just solid play is going to get the win. That is what's going to do it for you. And remember, this is an experience. You are not there. You're not, you're not going to cash in this tournament nine times out of ten. You're there to play for fun. You're there for the experience. That is it. Enjoy every minute of it. The more patient you are, the better a chance you have in this tournament. Do not drink alcohol the night before you play. Uh, don't smoke pot. Every study ever has shown like this. It's going to be a little harder for you to wake up in the morning when you do that. If you can in the morning, uh, go to the gym, run on the treadmill. I, I recommend for men just to lift weights more. Uh, I think that gets more of your stress out than anything. As far as what you should eat during the event, look, everybody's going to say this BS of, you know, no carbs, lean protein uh, salads. But here's the thing. 
if you're going through a carb detox during the main event, that's not going to be good. If you eat carbs during the year, don't change that up during the main event, right? Uh, I tend to think what's more brain food is going to be healthy fats like avocado and uh, things like that. Those cliff bars are yummy, but that uh, the, that uh, sugar is going to give you a glycemic spike. Then you're going to crash. White bread, I love white bread. I love pasta. I love all that stuff, but it gives you a rush. Like when I want to run, I did, uh, I did a really long run the other day, like a really long distance run. I'm not going to be that douchebag who shares how much he ran, though. So I'm not going to say how many miles then because Barry won't understand it. Oh, no, you guys do use miles. Never mind. But when I go for a run, I eat pasta if I'm really going to do like a distance run test myself because it gives you so much nervous energy. But you know when's the worst time to have nervous energy is when you're sitting with eight guys staring at you who are trying to take your money. That's not good. So – I think it's good to be a little hungry during the main event. Really recommend eating almonds, uh, avocado, salads, lean chicken, lean uh, fish. If, uh, if you've got to eat something in the Rio, I, I think they still – do they still have that burrito bar, Barry? I haven't been there this year. Uh, they did in the Rio, so I didn't know okay. that, I think. If there, if, if there's the burrito bar, that's like the best you're going to do. Just get some chicken with a lot of veggies in the burrito, and then the wrap will give you enough carbs so you don't go nuts. But, you know, try to not go too heavy on anything, really. And, uh, yeah, just remember, slow and steady wins the race. You're going to want to try something new, but the worst time to try something new is when you're debuting at Carnegie Hall. This is the WCP main event. Stick with what you know. Half, half the time there's a guy deep in a tournament and I'm playing with him. Remember, I, I, have, w, I have EPT, WPT final tables. I have a lot of W Coop and Scoop wins. And I, I've been there, done there, got the t-shirt. Half the time when I'm playing with a guy who's a quote-unquote amateur that I... If you want to earn my respect, have your game and stick to it. And a lot of times, if you just play better hands in position versus me and force me to play big pots out of position when I don't have a whole ton, there's not a whole hell of a lot I can do. I can try a four bet. I can try a check raise. But if you're a little tighter than most, there's not anything I can do to you, really. And that's going to be true for... Guys way above my pay grade, too, for uh, Martin Jacobson or Phil Elmuth. There's just not a lot they can do to you. So uh, don't be afraid of any of these people. Uh, There's not as – here's the thing. If you're going to play one-on-one basketball with LeBron James, go ahead and be afraid. Uh, Things are going to be tough. But here's how you know poker isn't a sport. Right? Like, if Barry could go to the NBA Finals and score 27, it's not a sport. And every year at the main event, we see some guy on TV who clearly does not know what he's doing just wreck the table. So if that guy who does not know anything can beat up your favorite pro, you have a pretty good shot as well. Just don't. Yeah, just, just be careful around them. And most of the time, the table's going to break and you won't have to deal with them anyway. It's a patience game. It's all about patience. And it's all about how much you enjoy the moment. Remember, this, is, this could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I hope you get there again. I'm really glad you got to achieve your dream. But there's, there's nothing wrong with not placing in this tournament. It's just one tournament. You're supposed to be there for fun. And... Buddy, it's Vegas if it doesn't work out. There's a million things to do in Vegas. It is one of the most fun cities on earth. It's one of my favorite cities on earth. You will there, go ahead and have a ball if you go out there and play your heart out, right? And here's the other thing that took me a really long time to learn. 
If you make a tough fold, it will haunt you for a couple minutes. If you make a bad call, it will haunt you for the rest of your life if it was really bad. You think about it, a guy makes a big bet on the river and you fold a little angrily thinking maybe he took one off of you. How long does it eat at you? Five minutes, right? You, you usually forget about it, right? And However, if you make a big call on the river and you're wrong, you might be tossing and turning thinking about that at night. So discipline, and the other thing is in the words of... Uh, I don't know. I heard about this from another poker trainer, but it's uh, the the best way to put it is you got to do a lot of bluff catching if you're playing against guys who are balancing quite a bit, right? Like if you're playing Doug Poke, uh, if if you're playing Doug Poke, there's a lot of guy. There's a lot of times he's balancing really well with blockers and stuff like that. 99% of these guys don't know any of this stuff. Even the pros, most of these pros make their money just playing 2-5, value betting the bombs. That's it, right? And if they're, play, if they're American online players, they're not really doing a whole lot a lot of the time. And if they're international online players, usually what they do is they 16-table and play like a very standard style like they're not really good at bluffing so if you ever ha have a hand that's like a bluff catcher you probably should just let it go at, at any time but yeah Doug Polk said the number one problem most poker players have is they're scared the number one problem that Jonathan Little said is these guys are scared the thing I, if I could add a little it's just you want to make the bets on your terms. You want everything on your terms. You want to be structuring the bets in a way that you know they're getting the sucker end of this bet. If there's ever a time a guy is taking initiative and putting it back on you, then he's forcing you into his own uh, play. He's to, it's an option where he, ha he gets all the free cards and he gets to decide how big the pot is. You want to stick out of those. I had no other talent when I came up in poker than knowing vaguely what a sucker bet was. I was not good at anything before poker. I was a mediocre athlete. I was a mediocre student. All the books I wrote got picked up by no publisher. The scripts I wrote got picked up by nobody. I found out as a commercial fisherman I wasn't handy, nor was I good with uh, machinery when I was cooking and kitchens, I found out I wasn't that good either. And when I was a security guard, I found out I flat out wasn't that observant, right? The only thing you need to be a good poker player is to know when you're getting the sucker end of a bet. That is it. That in the sucker end of the bet is always when you're out of position and the other guy gets to decide how many free cards he gets, how big the pot is going to be. That is a terrible end you want to be on. And if you just get out of that every single time, if you think about it, let's say you open and the average person gets three bet in like very aggressive games, like 20, 25% of the time, right? So if 75% of the time you're making one big blind on average when you open, when actually it's a little bit more than that, and then 25% of the time you're losing 2.5x, that would be, you would be slightly profitable, right? Uh, it, especially if it was 1.5x or whatever your actual earn is, right? But when you 3-bet, think, think about, if you have kings in the first hand of the main event, Barry, and you open and somebody 3-bets you, are you 4-betting? Yeah. You're 4-betting, okay, queens. <laughs> Do you 4-bet? Yeah. You four bet, okay. The well, depending on the player in that, yeah, probably do, yeah. Yeah, two hundred and fifty big blinds deep. You're four betting kids. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying most people don't do that. You you can kind of feel the temptation to just call right, play a small pot, 
Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. But I'm still going to forbet them. Good. That's like th- that's the higher EV play, by the way. But yeah, anyway. Well, most guys don't do that. Most guys, most guys in the main event, like they'll just everybody who just listened to that question, Barry. Most people said like, yeah, I'd call, right? Uh, or at least I do surveys of poker players to get uh, to, to get field statistics, and most guys say, yeah, I'll call. Which means their four bet is like three percent. Let's say it's let's say it's four percent, okay? So that's like jacks, queens, kings, aces, which it's not, okay? Well, night when you three bet, if you look at anybody's database, the average profit they have with even their trashiest hands when they three bet is like two big lines. So Imagine a situation where 96% of the time you get two big blinds and then 4% of the time you lose nine big blinds. You think you're making some money there? This one wasn't rhetorical, Barry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'm preparing this question, Alex. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, best podcast in the world. Nobody, please, nobody. Please, no, please, please repeat it. I had you on mute as well for a bit there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My cell phone mute. Sorry, sorry. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I thought you just told me I had you on mute. Sorry, but no, I, <laughs> no, I'm just uh, I'm sorting out the question for the if we got time for one more this episode and yeah. then the ones for the next. Yeah, so I that was it. Anyway, so uh, I just ask the question again, please. I just, I just try to compute. Well, it's the average person is four betting like five percent of the time normally, right? 10% okay. of their hands. Let's say it's 10%, right? It's not. But at the beginning of the main event, nobody four bets anything. But let's say it's 10%. The average person makes two big blinds per three bet. That's actually pretty low. Like my, I make 3.6 big blinds every time I three bet. But let's say the average person makes two, okay? And let's say everybody's four betting 10% of the hands when really it's less than half of that. But let's say it's 10%. Well, if 90% of the time you're making two big blinds and then 10% of the time you're losing nine, are you coming out ahead on this deal? No. You're cut. Okay, Barry, we're going to do 90 times two would be 180, then 10 times nine would be 90. So over that, you'd be 90 big blinds plus over 100 ands. You get it? Yeah, you're making money. It's yeah, you're making money. Oh, I see. If they're doing that, yeah. Barry, you and I, you know, you and I should take this show on the road. I think Vegas isn't ready for Barry and Alex Fitzgerald. <laughs> Just twins yeah, the way you and I are syna- sympathetic. We'll do a live one. Sorry, yeah, no, my brain's, I'm reading this question and a guy sent it to I've got to multitask when I'm doing this as well. I know. You, know? you and me, man, just synergy. Just pen and teller like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but the long story short, if you keep putting people in these awful spots, you know, one of, th- one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to, most of the time, you're still not going to cash, but you can know for the rest of your life, hey, man, I gave it my all, and every bet they took from me was a sucker bet, right? I don't have unlimited chips like ca- the casino does, so I can't sit there and play the house all day. I did what I could. But if you're calling down with any, uh, without any ideas to what you're doing, you're going to rethink this main event for the rest of your life. And if this is truly one of your only shots, I'd say go with your bread and butter bets, keep it solid, do your best, come whatever may. Good luck to you, Bob. And like you said there as well, the reality of people forbetting is a lot. Probably, what is it, like 5% or less? Of yeah, it's, uh, well, on average... Online. Like probably ace kings queens. That's it, I think, for people. Like everybody it, it, flats jacks. It, you know, like it, average. I'm talking average. Yeah, like when I was uh, constructing master tournament poker in one class, I said, okay, I have a different idea for a product, which is screw all the GTO stuff. Let's find out what the field does and what. If I construct a strategy versus that, what would that do, right? And I was looking at okay, the three bet is everything because the average I was looking at everybody's four betting range and I can pull it up on my computer I'm like queens 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 kings queens jacks ooh we got a little spicy there queens 
Ace 10 suited, what was that? Oh, he's got 26 X, and the guy was three betting every single hand, right? It was, people yeah. don't like four bet bluffing. They just don't like doing it. And it's not really a terrific mathematical play, but the problem being, uh, the problem being, if you're four betting 10% of the hands, even if you're opening 30% of hands, that means your four betting range is now 4% of hands. It's not 3% due to combinatorics, but. It's like literally jacks, queens, kings, aces. That's very easy to play against. And everything else that you call with, go ahead and go to your filters right now and hold a manager and look at call pre-flop three bet. Just look at that. I'll bet you're not making money unless you're in position. And most of the time you're not in position when you call a pre-flop three bet. That money's got to be going to someone. There, in 2025, Barry, there will not be a single poker hand without a three bet. That is my belief. That is really my belief. I don't think we are anywhere in poker. We, like, the fact that people tell me poker is tough is a joke to me. I wouldn't be able to get my hundreds of students in the black so easily if this game was really that tough. This, I'm not, you're not trained. It has nothing to do with the... It has everything to do with 100 million people play poker. They can't all be fader holes. I'm sorry. And it, it's just like most men have a skewed view of sexuality because the only type of sexuality they see is pornography. We have a skewed view of poker because the only poker we see is televised poker in training videos. Well, guess what? Televised poker is the most dramatic hands versus the most aggressive players. Training videos is a guy trying to justify to you why you're paying hundreds of dollars a month to listen to him. So he's showing you every fancy play he's ever done in his life. Because if he sells you the basics, you're going to start asking yourself, why do I need this jackass? Right? So he's got to show you, like, look how sick I am. Right? And if that's the only poker you watch, you will not realize this is basics day in and day out. And if I can get a little egotistical for a minute... I will kill you with the basics. You play with me, I will end you with the basics. I know every stupid little nuance to every dumbass board, and it's all the basics. You will not see one flashy thing from me. If I'm triple barrel bluffing, that's usually inwardly, I'm going, it shouldn't have gotten to this point. I don't know why it got to this point. This is out of control. There's no part of me patting myself on the back when it gets to that point. I think that's flashy poker. I think that's dangerous poker. And I think it's unnecessary poker. And I think that's a great way to make yourself feel like you're doing something when you're really not. Okay. I, I don't know if we have time for another question, Barry. Um, what you're trying to say is all poker television coverage is poker pornography. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I think we got the name for this podcast. It's either Sucker Bet or Poker Pornography. No, it's, it's Sucker Bet. I've yeah, already marked bet. that. While you were asking me fucking what the square root of 685 was, <laughs> I was writing down Sucker Bets and dealing with questions. Um, okay, Leah, we do have time for one more question. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. We do have uh, time for one more question because we, I've got 58 minutes and we were talking about it before we started recording. So let's do this one and it's from G who actually has another couple of questions lined up for the next podcast. So um, he was in first so we're going to read them out. So this one is, uh, hello Alex, once I heard a pro saying you get better at no limit hold'em if you know how other poker variants like Omaha works because you have another view to the tactics that are needed at no limit hold'em. For instance, at Pot Limit Omaha, you can flat to three bets more often than in Hold'em because hand values are much closer together and you are rarely a big favourite pre-flop. When you compare the variants, you're supposed to think more perceptively about what strategy makes sense in Hold'em and why. Do you think the same way and are you playing variants beside Hold'em? Thanks. I love to play Pot Limit Omaha, but I don't get to play Pot Limit Omaha all that much because I'm a Hold'em specialist. Like, let's, let's put this on anything else. Like, uh, I'm a baseball player. You know, if you play basketball, I feel like that'll give you some perspective on baseball. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, a pure athlete will probably 
bring back some things, like maybe just like turning on a dime uh, from basketball or something like that. Or maybe just we'll have a little, some handles in the outfield or something like that. But this is one of those things people talk about that I think it's one of those, it sounds really good, so let's talk about it. But if you told me I'm really working on my Hold'em game, so I'm going to go play Potlim in Omaha, that makes no sense to me. And the example you just gave me of, well, here you can flat three bets more in Potlim in Omaha. That's not something you generally want to translate over to No Limit Hold'em because, like, here, here's the thing. I have constructed strategies where I tell my students fold every single time to a three-bat, right? And that uh, – now, that sounds – really too much, but here's the thing. I can define what their negative is in this formula. I can say, like, it is negative 2.5, and it's going to happen this percentage of the time because that's how often a three-bet's going to happen, right? Now, if I'm playing the main event and I open and you three-bet me small, am I going to fold? No, because I know how to handle that spot. I have a lot of experience in that spot. But if you're playing no-limit hold'em, and there's this big, when you do three-bet somebody in position right now and they call you, the equities don't run that close as they do in Potlum and Omaha. And the other thing is, with Potlum and Omaha, that's fine because a lot of times you're going to hit the board in PLO. Uh, and you, you can call like a moderate C-bet, then equities are running closer. It's okay. In No Limit Oldham, you're just... You're going to have the best hand and have no idea a lot of the time. The board's going to come queen a2, you have ace-jack. You're ahead there a lot of the time, do you know, though? What are you drawing to? I don't know. These aren't problems in PLO. Therefore, they, I don't know how it's going to prepare you in No Limit Hold'em. Now, when I play PLO, like, the thing I took from PLO is I learned how to bluff with the ace blocker a lot. That That... When I was playing PLO for fun a lot, I learned how to, oh, cool, I'm blocking the nut flush. Let's run this bluff. That, yeah, that's pretty standard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's standard. So, yeah, like when I was like 15, you know. But yeah. it, it was, But it's cool. It's cool. It gets you thinking. Yeah, exactly. I remember the first time. Yeah, yeah it's not bad. Like, it, it's just like they tell kids. Uh, they tell kids when you're young, like, play all the sports because that'll make you really well-rounded. And they're actually... Major League Baseball is now saying that to kids because the kids who just pitch baseballs all year have their arm fall off, whereas the kids who play all the sports do really well. And, yeah, when you're coming up in poker, play as much poker as you want. Have fun. Learn from it. But remember, it, when I was trying to be – when I was 18 years old and I said, I do not want to be a security guard anymore. I don't want to be this loser who couldn't go to college anymore who doesn't have money who's just bumming around and, and is these dump apartments I need to learn how to make money and I was trying to learn how to beat Sidengos that was what I did I watched NSXT2 play Sidengos yeah that, the, I'm that old I watched Sheets play Sidengos I remember watching Sheets play Sidengos back before Poker X Factor I was watching him play a Sidengo on I think it was called Real Poker Training I was watching Space Gravy play Sid and Goes. Everything was about Sid and Goes. Everything was the basic math. Everything was all that. And then eventually I could beat Sid and Goes. And then I had a lot of confidence. And then I could move to another game. Then I moved to MTTs. I got my head stomped in. I went back to Sid and Goes. And then eventually I made enough money to go back into MTTs. And I did it again. Then I made some money from MTTs. And then... I started losing at MTTs, exploring the variance, and realizing, oh my God, this is uh, this is uh, this is really likely to blow up on me at some point. So I went into cash games. I got my head smashed in. My whole life was learning how to play cash games. It was incredibly uncomfortable until like month three or four, I started figuring it out. And I started finding sites where I could make money. It was one thing at a time. Now, if I had shown up and I said, okay, I want to play a Singo today, but in PLO. And the next day I said, I think I want to play a limit hold'em tournament. 
And the next day I said, I want to play seven card stud cash. How far do you guys think I would have gotten? Like, do you really think I would have come forward? Would it have done? Like, does that sound like a recipe for success? It will activate your poker mind. And one of my regrets is I did not learn to play as many poker games as I'd want. Uh, Being a Hold'em specialist has always paid the bills. Uh, If you become a specialist, you can teach. Uh, There's very little poker literature I haven't read on No Limit Hold'em. I'm familiar with every argument, and that does help. I really wish I got to play more games, but as far as playing the other games, they're really fun. I really miss playing Seven Card Stud. I really miss playing... I really loved Heads Up PLO. That was really fun. Uh, But you got to go where the money is if you're going to do this professionally. Now, if you just want to learn how to play cards and you just want to play cards, by all means, have fun. But if you want to do this for a living, at some point you you got to learn how to play ball in the ballpark you're in, and that, that's what you're going to have to do day in and day out. And it's not fun, but that's what this calls for. Uh, good luck to you, G. Yeah, and I, I know from when I used to play Dealer's Choice live cash games, it was, you know, people would usually pick Omaha. Um, very rarely it would be seven-card stud. And it was usually uh, Irish, which I think you guys call pineapple, you know, like the other variation. Yeah. And, yeah, they were all fun games and stuff. But like Alex is saying, I mean, you can fold bottom set in Omaha quite easily um, a lot of the times. And it's pot limit against no limit. I, I really don't see, in terms of, like, there's a flop turning river, I don't see much other similarities in terms of, like, the hand rankings are the same, that's it. But, yeah, two totally different games and... Some people that are no limit hold'em players don't really transition well to uh, Omaha, especially we were playing like five card Omaha and stuff sometimes. Oh, and people people's understanding of hand values come from hold'em, and they just lose money hand over fist when it comes to Omaha. You know, that's, that's so. what like cash games are really fun. Sorry, I'm totally geeking out, but it was so funny uh, when Dennis and I were in Montreal. We were playing five card Omaha, and there was one time. On the flop, I made the ass end of the straight. I led, and then the guy raised, and I just mucked. And, I, and then I was watching a Holden player, like, the next day on flop top two pair and get it in. It's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> There's five cards now in his whole card. Do you realize that? Five. Quad, quads over quads and everything <laughs> yeah. all the time. It's like, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to play. I want to play now. I want to play, too. I get to play. Yay. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, that's all we've got time for this episode. Um, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your products existing and upcoming? Hey, uh, thank you, guys. By the way, a bunch of people have signed up for the newsletter recently, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'll keep trying to send out free content. Um, What I'm doing now is I'm just going through my coffers of poker articles I've written that are just, you know, I literally, you were talking about Irish. I think one was for like an Irish poker magazine that's out of print and stuff like that. Just all the stuff you you could never find on the internet anymore, which is still relevant. I'm trying to put those out like once a day, once every other day. And I'm also trying to put out all the free podcasts and I've got some training videos lined up to come out. Uh, I think I'm going to set those to go out during the uh, during the WCP main event, just so you guys aren't left high and dry while I'm off making millions of dollars. So if you want to sign up for that, go to PokerHeadRush.com. Uh, that's my butt ugly blog, but on the top right, you can sign up for the newsletter, and that is actually quite pretty. And make sure Alex at PokerHeadRush.com is in your contacts, in uh, your email client. That way. My email won't go to your junk folder. I I send an advertisement like one email out of ten. Would you agree with that, Barry? Yeah, maybe not even that. Not even that, yeah. It's mostly content, so I promise I will not abuse your trust. I, I really do just send a lot of uh, free strategy content, and that's really fun because you guys all write me back about what you're learning from, and I, I really appreciate that. If you guys want to write me, uh, my email address is alex at pokerheadrush.com. And follow me on Twitter at the Assassinato. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, check out my training videos at Tournament Poker Edge. 
Okay, and keep your questions coming in for next week's episode. Questions at oneouter.com and we will get them read out or post them in the Facebook group or tweet them to me. Uh, Alex, thanks for this. We are away to record another episode straight after this, but I will say good luck to you for the main event now. And hopefully you get a run and everyone can get a good sweat on Twitter and updates, etc. Um, good luck to you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.